This is Car Expert. BMW are doing the EV performance world better than anyone at the moment in my mind. Toyota normally gets its product planning decisions right in Australia. It's the market leader for a reason. But in this one instance, I reckon somebody at Port Melbourne headquarters has taken leave of their senses because I cannot figure out what is going on. I'm using my hands here. Hello, Tony Crawford. Mandy, how are you? And I'm the same. And um, uh, I know you want to talk about something, but uh, you got a new job, Mandy. It's one of the coolest jobs I've heard of. <laughs> Reporting traffic from a helicopter. Can't oh, wait. Good. Yeah, I'll have to tell you yeah. all about it when I start yeah. in about a week's time. 100%. <laughs> Mike Costello, hello to you. Mandy, it's great to be here. Now, I really think we, we were just speaking off air about a little uh, adventure that you've got planned uh, in the new year, which uh, I think our listeners should hear all about because it sounds absolutely amazing. What have you got planned? Okay. So I've decided to take my father on a bit of a once-in-a-lifetime road trip in the car that he and I restored over six years, my 1965 VW Beetle. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Speed Week in South Australia, Lake Gardner. It's basically Salt Lake racing. Um, I I know of it, uh, and it looks unbelievably cool. Yeah. Salt, salt, salt Lake racing is just just about the coolest thing you can do on four wheels or two. Isn't for it? That exactly. <laughs> so like they're they're not just ordinary cars. Like I'm not obviously going to race my Beetle, but you know the cars have to be modified specifically to race on Salt Lakes. Uh, you know where they can reach three four hundred k's an hour. Quite easily, so um, yeah, we're going to go in the Beetle in late March when it's you know still really stinking hot with no air conditioning. Yeah. Okay, so that's um, one point that I was going to raise. But also, what is the what is the top speed of that Beetle yours on a good day? <laughs> I haven't taken it any faster than one hundred and ten. Like it can so, one hundred and ten. Do, do you and your old man have a good relationship? And are you sure that at the end of this drive, you're still going to have a good relationship? <laughs> We'll be fine. No, no. We, look, we we love cars, um, and that's that's our common interest. So, um, I th- I think we'll be fine. Like we're going to go prepared. Obviously, get the the beetle all serviced and ready to go. So, you know, obviously something most likely will break. Um, but if we if we go prepared, pack all the right spare parts and the right tools, it's around a, a I think a three and a half thousand k return trip. Um, and we're going up the coast through Adelaide and coming back sort of through, you know, Renmark and Mildura down the guts of Victoria. So, Mandy, what engine have you got? A 1400, 1500, 1600, or I dare say a 1750? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, uh, it's, it's a, you know, I had the engine rebuilt a couple of years ago and it was a 1600. And my mechanic basically said, hey, can I, can I put a little bit of extra power in it? And I'm like, Sure. Um, so I think it's probably been bought out to like a, maybe a, a 1690 or something like that. Wow, I can put okay. A little bit of extra power in it. But the only thing is the f- you can watch the fuel gauge go down. Um, oh. So it's not very so The bug was 1600, I think. They were, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. That, I've got a friend that's got around 1900, uh, 1900, yeah, or, uh, CC in his Beetle. And uh, when you come to Sydney next, I'm going to introduce you to this guy because he has a collection of Beetles and fast Beetles. Nice. One of them's got 356 running gear in it. Uh, <laughs> he'd love to talk to you. He's about 80 years old and he used to be a Volkswagen mechanic, believe oh it or not. Oh, my God. Uh, I know, you, I know you, can, you can get like 
2,200 cc engines in them. Wow. Um, but they're like drag drag racing. Yeah, so cars, this salt plane thing, is it – so when you say racing, is it – it's not. It's is it speed setting or is it just? It's just like a racing? drag. It's basically right, just a right. drag. Yeah, like right. one one vehicle at a time. Um, I've yeah. seen photos of of years gone by. Obviously, COVID impacted it. But yeah, as you said, Moco two wheels. There's motorbikes there. Um, there was a, a, a Beetle in there with a Subaru engine in the back a couple of years ago. You've got like XF Falcons that are done up like a taxi. Um, all sorts wow. of different cars. It's like homemade yeah. custom cars that someone's built in their back shed that are open wheelers. Mm. Um, and you get they, like, they don't you know, time them like um, Bonneville Flats. Um, that I'm not sure of. Mm. I know they obviously measure the speed. Speed, um, yeah, right. But I'm, I'm unsure about time. Yeah, Very cool. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. So Very I've, I've cool. gone all, all planned with keeping us cool. I've got gelled seats. I've got maybe buying some ice vests. I've got a little portable twelve volt uh, evaporative air conditioner. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> so, you should make a dedicated Instagram page for it as well. I'm going to. Yes, absolutely. Exactly oh, what I'll be doing. I cannot wait. I mean, what yeah. I will say is better you than me. Uh, as much as I love driving yeah. to the outback. I'd, I'd rather take something with AC and uh, yeah. you know, a, a little bit better NDH. <laughs> but yeah. uh, what, what you're doing sounds amazing, Mandy. It sounds absolutely awesome. I, think I, think I reckon a face cloth, a wet face cloth on your head is probably a cheap <laughs> way of getting <laughs> rid of. <laughs> it's funny. When I when I pitched this idea to Dad, uh, he didn't really know too much about Speedwick, so I had to fill him in. And I said, look, Dad, last year, just giving you a word of warning, it got to 49 degrees at Lake Gamma. And uh, he goes, wow. Oh, well, well, that's something to think about. So um, the heat did sort of stop him a bit. But I said, look, Dad, you're not probably going to do this again. You know, let's let's give it a, a hot go. Give it, so, a, give it a crack, um, yeah. And the part of the journey is going in an old car. So I think it adds Yeah. Something. Yeah. Anyway. Fun. <laughs> we'll see if I have any regrets. Fun in a <laughs> well, you know, Jerry Seinfeld literally has probably 40 Beatles and he adores them as much as he does his Porsches. Isn't that funny? Um, yeah, yeah, he's absolutely obsessed. Him and Spike Ferriston, who wrote the Super Nazi episode on Seinfeld, um, yeah. he he and Seinfeld are obsessed about Beatles. Seinfeld more so, obviously, because he's got the money to buy yeah. countless Beatles. But uh, wow. he might have the world's biggest collection of individual collection of Beatles. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, a fair cool. chance. Well, well, speaking of the Outback, this sort of ties in with just what we were speaking about with this week's car news. Uh, Marco, the 2023 Porsche 911 Dakar has been revealed. Please tell me this is coming to Australia. Oh, my God, Mandy, what a car. Um, yes, <laughs> I, I can I can put your mind at ease and say that, yes, it is indeed Great. coming to Australia. Um, $491,400 before on-road costs. Plus, you're going to want to add the optional rally design package, which is another $55,000. But you know what? It's the old adage. If you have to ask how much, you probably can't afford it anyway. They're only making 2500 of these for the globe. Now, for those who uh, maybe haven't been following this uh, quite as closely as we have, the 911 Dakar is essentially an off-road-ready version of the 911. It uses the Carrera GTS's 3-litre twin-turbo flat 6, with an eight-speed PDK for a 3.4 seconds zero to 100 time, but it has active roll stabilization. It's had a 50 millimeter lift um, with a further 30 mil able to be lifted above that if you so need it. It's got all-terrain chunky tires made by Pirelli, so great Pirelli Scorpion rubber. A couple of new drive modes, one called Rally, 
which shunts power to the rear axle to liven things up. Um, obviously, it's an all-wheel drive system. And then off-road mode as well, which um, sent, uh, sort of numbs the throttle and, and ESC and other things for loose surfaces. Um, it's got red aluminium towing hooks, a wider body, an external 12-volt outlet in the roof. Uh, it really is an adventure-ready car. It's a nod to the heavily reworked 911 that won the 1984 Paris-Dakar Rally. And uh, you know what? 911s are synonymous with being on track, being low, being, you know, road-going supercars. But this one, this is the coolest 911 I've ever seen. Uh, it's, if there's any, If there's any such thing as a truly sexy, desirable crossover SUV, which I'm, I dare say this actually probably is by definition, uh, it's, it's this. It just looks unbelievable. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, just drop what you're doing and go to Car Expert and look up. Porsche 911 Dakar. Um, Croft, because yeah, uh, I know Mandy's desperate to talk about this, but we'll <laughs> let you throw your two cents in. You're a Porsche Nuffy, former owner, I believe, maybe current owner. Definitely a Porsche fan, former. though. Former and uh, in, in transition. In transition. <laughs> in transition. Well, uh, a jacked up, high riding, off road ready 911 Dakar. Give us your thoughts, man. What do you reckon? Yeah, but you said that price. So I'm. I'm what I'm thinking is going to be no change of 600 grand on the road. Mm. Uh, with, and and worth got a, every cent, Crawford, worth every right, cent. It is, it is worth every cent, Mandy, but there are 2,500 only very wealthy people uh, out there that have probably already put their names against this thing. And, I mean, don't forget, there are millions of very wealthy people out there that want this car and there's only 2,500 of them. So do the math and there's not a chance in hell of one of these ending up outside of Lindsay Fox's garage or, <laughs> or, or aircraft hangar down in Melbourne. Um, yeah, I, I would just love to drive it around the city, wouldn't you? <laughs> like, like, and just be absolutely nuts and bizarre with this thing. You know what I would and love to do, Croft, before, before you take yeah. it to the city? Go and find some mud, like muddy oh, tracks, yeah, and yeah, exactly. go nuts in it and then go to the city. Exactly. <laughs> Covered in freaking mud, <laughs> dripping off as you pull up in front of the Potts Point Cafe, right? <laughs> Uh, and get out all muddy as well and sit down in their lush cafe. Yeah. Like, you're going to take my money now, champion? Like, I'm just getting out of this 600000 uh, uh raised 911. I mean, yeah, that's – it's it's pretty – what do you reckon, Mandy? Like – Oh, Would you sell mate. your house to get that? Hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> like when I when I when I opened that story today, I literally my jaw just dropped and whoever was standing next to me, I said, Hey, you come over here, come look at this. It's bloody awesome. Um I would have it in that uh what would you call it? The green sort yeah. of paint scheme, greenish, greyish blue. Uh, uh, yeah. You gotta have it in that uh safari rally thing. Mm. Libri that they've got painted on there how it should look because I think it looks a bit strange just with nothing on it, just a flat colour. Yeah. I, I don't think it looks right. It's got to have the, the livery. looks almost like a toy, doesn't it? Well, it does look like a toy, but, yeah, mm. it does look like a toy with all that stuff on the top. And yeah. uh, what would you put on the top if you were driving it around the city? Probably one of those Thule or Thule, T-H-U-L-E, one of those pods that you can put your skin gear and stuff in. Maybe chuck a spare tyre on it, maybe, if you really want to go hardcore. I think the tyre. I think the tyre, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. That's so good, yeah. Get it absolutely filthy and throw yourself in the mud while you're at it. (laughs) 
And an angel up at a posh restaurant. Well, the other thing is, Porsches of all the supercars, if there was one that I would comfortably take in the outback and fang and know that it wouldn't break, it'd be a Porsche because they're actually, yeah. like, I, would, I wouldn't trust a Ferrari not to break down in the outback, but a Porsche, mm. yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And, 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 and 911s, don't forget what it's 60 years of making the 911 coming up. Uh, is it not? Oh, really? 23, wow. 63, 23, 911. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so that's coming up next year. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, celebrations and this will be part of it. But mm. I thought Singer were also doing uh, uh, their version of a Dakar-style 911. That'll probably be three times the money of this one. So this is probably cheap, actually. All right, we're going to move on to the next story now. The 2023 Toyota Prius has been revealed. I actually can't believe I'm saying this, Moko. I quite like the design. So here's the thing, right? Who the hell would – I don't know. We're living in weird times anyhow, but (laughs) – you know, the weirdness of COVID and, you know, all of the subsequent floods, weather, all the weirdness pale into into insignificance when you say that a Prius is sexy. Because that is, that is the single weirdest thing that has happened in the last decade, that yes. a Prius looks good. Um, Toyota had a real conundrum, of course, with its hybrid hero um, and, and plug-in hybrid too, which is that hybrids... They're yesterday's news. EVs are, mm. EVs are tomorrow's news. So the whole point of the Prius, what, what is it? So, so Toyota was sort of prevaricating and umming and ahhing and, and Akio himself said, I don't know what to do with this car. What they decided to do was make it look absolutely friggin' awesome for the first time ever um, and, and make it genuinely desirable and then make it a halo for its hybrid and plug-in hybrid technology, which I think is the exact right move um Mm. here's the here's the rub though uh this is the first sexy prius and it's also the first prius that won't come to australia it's not coming to australia has said no now this has really stuck in my craw i'm actually writing an opinion column on this it's going live uh in the next few days what's the reason they're not wanting it so toyota says the prius did its job the prius's job was to make hybrids accessible and, and to prove that they, they work and they're reliable and do all, they do all the things that they do. But now Toyota says the majority of its SUVs and passenger cars are hybrids now. Klugers, RAV4s, Corollas, Yaris's, Camrys, you name it. So to Toyota's thoughts, the Prius has done its job. Moreover, the outgoing Prius, the sales completely tanked towards the end. Everybody was buying Corollas mm. and Yaris's and RAV4s instead. Thing is, though, the old Prius looked horrendous. It was it was so ugly. It had no desirability. It was also slow. It had 90 kilowatts. You know, it wouldn't pull the skin off your custard. This one has almost double the power. It looks desirable. So it's not exactly apples for apples, is it? And I cannot fathom how Toyota thinks, okay, we've got a Corolla Cross, a RAV4, a Kluger Hybrid, but there's no exciting, swoopy, curvaceous, sporty-looking hybrid in Toyota's range. So why the hell they would think that there wasn't a place for this iteration just boggles the mind, particularly as a plug-in hybrid. I mean, Toyota's got EVs coming, but everybody accuses it of being behind the times, of being a laggard, of not having tomorrow's technology. Well, there's a fair version of this too with 60Ks of range. Be perfect. So Toyota normally gets its product planning decisions right in Australia. It's the market leader for a reason. But in this one instance, I reckon somebody at Port Melbourne headquarters has taken leave of their senses because I cannot figure out what is going on. But I think it's unfair to the to the buying public too not to, you know, we've helped them build the Prius brand 
out here and uh, buying the, the hideously uh, ugly uh, early Priuses. And now we get something, like you said, that looks absolutely brilliant. I mean, there's a bit of Lamborghini, there's a bit of Ferrari in that, <laughs> True. Uh, especially that swooping and that beautiful uh, rear end, that tapered roof line that's all glass. I mean, for God's sake, Toyota, give us a crack at that too. I, I'm sure you won't be short of any buyers. You know um, what? This this is not taking sales off Rav4's Corolla Crosses. It's not going to be a different buyer. No, exactly right. right. It's a whole yeah. different buyer. And moreover, Toyota continues to say hybrids are a great solution for people that can't afford EVs now. Part of that, though, is branding. So you need to make hybrids desirable. You need to keep them at the forefront yeah. of people's attention. A car that looks like that at the front of the dealership on a plinth, that gets people in the door. That builds excitement. It's a halo. For a company that's so savvy with advertising, which Toyota is, the big T has just lost its marbles. Unless there's well, some other deeper reason, I just cannot get my head around Well, they are making it in right-hand drive, I assume, for Japan. Bingo. And it's going to UK as well. So it's definitely oh, well, right. That, what? That, that's, I, I think it's up to the Australian Toyota forums and everything to put pressure on Toyota and get them to reverse that decision or at least have another think about it um, and and get a bit of a submission game. Okay, you might want to kick that off yourself and see how many signatures you can get online. I'm writing the column as we speak. Um, And if you're you're listening, of course you're listening, you're hearing us. As you listen, if you don't believe when I say that this Prius is sexy, pull over your car or pull out your phone when it's safe to do so, have a look at it because tell me I'm wrong. It looks genuinely awesome. Never thought I'd say that. <laughs> Even in white, it looks good, by yeah. the way. <laughs> it does too. Wow. Um, now, this is interesting, Moko. The Ford Ranger Raptor is going to get a bit of Baja treatment. Yeah, so this is such a cool concept. Um, Ford Australia developed with Kelly Racing, the V8 Supercars team, um, a lightly modified Ranger Raptor in right-hand drive that they have sent to Mexico to compete in the Baja 1000 off-road race in the stock category. So this is clearly good marketing because what's interesting about the stock category is the engine, the transmission, the four-wheel drive system, you know, the suspension, stock so it is the car that you can buy right now for, what is it, 86 grand RRP. Obviously, there are some changes. There's a ton of bodywork on it, safety equipment, new brake pads and fluid, um, but for, and, you know, some sort of add-ons that you might expect for a racing car. But in all honesty, this is 85 90% stock. This is what you can buy on the road. Um, there's some awesome quotes here. Um, one is from Justin Capicciano, who's the Ford Performance Engineering Manager in Australia. Great guy is Justin, always makes himself available to us in the media. He said, it's a difficult race to go and enter any vehicle into, let alone a production vehicle. And the Ranger Raptor we're racing isn't far off what you could drive off the showroom floor. We want to show the capability of this truck, end quote. And that kind of really explains what this is all about. The Raptor is already an icon. People love it. People are desperate for it. But if this thing can win Baja, which I reckon it's got a damn good shot at doing considering Mm. the drivers that are involved and the teams that are involved, and go and have a look at the story on the site. I'll give you a full breakdown of all of the specs and changes and things like that. But this thing, it, it just, it just, anyone who's got a Raptor now knows for sure that their vehicle can handle proper Baja racing because there is literally one going through it that's barely changed from factory. So what a, what a cool concept. And moreover, the naming rights sponsor is ARB. 
globally oh, wow. aligned with Ford, but wow. obviously an Australian company, one of the world's biggest 4x4 aftermarket companies. They've got a sweetheart wow. deal with Ford where they sell their accessories in Ford dealers. But this is just a case of Australian engineered, Australian sponsored, but a global racing machine. What a cool story, huh? Well, I reckon you're right, Marco. It's worth a big shout out to these guys. And, um, uh, you know, I'd love a crack at that 160 litre fuel tank too. Uh, you, you go around <laughs> Australia on that. Um, but isn't Ford doing some, uh, and I must uh, disclose the fact that I've just ordered a dark horse Mustang oh my God. Uh, from Power Ford in Sydney. Um, <laughs> they took my money and um, I don't know when I'm getting it. I don't care as long as it arrives when I do have money to pay for it. Um, so and have you heard the noise of this thing? No. I have actually, yes. Yeah, yeah it's unbelievable. It makes the bullet actually sound quiet. Um, it, wow. It's next level, Mandy. Um, but, you know, like with Ford Ranger as well, new Mustang, every car they've got at the moment that they've come out with, uh, new gen, is a cracker. And, you know, Ford – you know, Ford have been doing that for years, right, with Fiesta S, all the ST stuff that they had. They were all fan- Focus RS. They were all fantastic, exciting cars. Now they've brought that to the stage with utes and and uh, and, and um, SUVs, and, and now they're doing it with, um, with Ranger, and I think this is going to be a brilliant – if it just finishes, it'll be a triumph. Um, so because Yeah. Just on that note about finishing, I've got a I've got a little quote here. So one of the guys that was involved in the story uh, is an off roads. He's, he's a he's a motorsport hall of famer in the off roading world. His name's Brad Lovell. He runs a, a team for fact for Ford Factory, Ford Performance Factory. I don't really follow Baja Racing particularly closely, but this dude is an absolute legend of that world. And uh, here's a quote from him, quote, all the guys who drove it were impressed with it, but being right-hand drive, and this is obviously an American, we all needed a little reprogramming for what it's like to be driving on the other side of the road and not smoke the opposite side against the rocks. So I love the fact that they haven't even made it left-hand drive. They've gone, stuff ya. Yeah, this is in Mexico. You're an American driver, but you're going to yeah. drive a right-hand drive wow. track. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. cool. It's a taste of, you know, because we've got to do this all the time, don't we, Croft? We've got to go drive left-hand drive cars all the time. Oh. Now it's, it's time for the Americans to have a taste of what it's like. <laughs> yeah, they they have no clue. You try uh, heel and towing in a left-hand drive car, and actually, in, in a race situation, it is really difficult, Mandy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the brain does something. I know the pedals are in the same spot, but the brain does something with our hand-eye coordination, with changing with the different hand. It's really, really difficult. So uh, they won't have to worry about that with that ten-speed auto, but um, in, the, in, in the in the Ranger. So I'm really excited by this, and I think I'll, I think a lot of people. Uh, after hearing it on this and, and what other what other media outlets have announced this, we'll follow this race. Uh, and when is that race, uh, Moko? This week. Wow. So by the time oh, you're wow. listening, in actual fact, here's a, a little, little behind-the-scene insight for your listeners. We do actually pre-record this show. So by the time you're hearing this, the race will have already been held and we'll probably already know the result. Wow. Um, cool. the, other, the other takeaway for me, I know we're over time, but... Why don't we have more of this stuff in Australia? Like, why yeah. is it not an Outback Baja racing series doing sick jumps over red dirt with kangaroos in the sidelines? Like, why is that not a thing? I know, right? Mm. It would be amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to get back onto the bitumen now for the 2023 Honda Civic Type R. We finally have pricing, Moko. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> 
how does 72 600 drive away sound to you? <laughs> well, the old the old Civic Type R was 54990 before on oh, road. Was so it you, really? you were looking at about 60 on the road. So look, drive again, away. Yeah. Mm. It was about 60 drive away, 55 RIP. This right. new one 72 6 drive away. Look, everything's right. more expensive now, right? So yeah. we, we cannot Pick on Honda for this. Everything costs a bomb. Mm-hmm. To give you a little bit of context, uh, a Hyundai i30N with the manual gearbox kicks off at 46,200, so a lot cheaper. Um, Golf GDI, uh, sorry, Golf R, I should say, 65,990. So it is a bit cheeky, I would say, for Honda to be seven grand more than a Golf R. Mm. Um, it's actually more than an Audi S3 uh, or a BMW M135iX drive pure. So mm. not a cheap car. That being said, mm. uh, the Type R. The outgoing one was, in my opinion, probably the best of all those hot hatches. I, I love the i30N, but the Type R was something special. This new one really stays to the formula. It doesn't look quite as crazy as this, out, this outgoing model. It's a yep. bit more sensible looking, but it's still got That's the a good thing, by the way. Totally. Yeah, it's, got, it's got the triple exhaust outlets. It's got a way better interior. 235 kilowatt, 420 newton meter, 2 liter turbo, so slightly more powerful. Front wheel drive, obviously. Manual gearbox, obviously. Honda makes a better manual gearbox than anybody, so very confident that's going to be great. There's a full list in the story of all the new features that you get, so obviously it's yeah. a better car than what came before it. It's also going to be a record setter. This is going to set front wheel drive lap records all over the place because yeah. you just look at the thing. It's clearly a massive step up. I do worry about the price slightly. That mm. being said... Mm. There are people who are fiercely devoted to the Civic Type R. This is clearly the best one they've ever done. Maybe not the most exciting because some of the old naturally aspirated ones that revved out to 10,000 RPM had their own very unique charm. Obviously, this doesn't do that being turbocharged. But in terms of actual raw capability, it looks like an absolute monster. So I'm not going to judge the price until I drive it. But I think it's safe to say there might be a few people scratching their heads just a little bit. Yeah, okay. So, so an Audi S3 is seventy eight hundred. So just a little bit less. And I tell you what, I think I'd rather have a Honda Type R in the garage to go for a Sunday drive than an Audi S3, which is arguably ubiquitous in terms of uh, you know small performance cars. So. Um, and I don't mean to diss Audi. The S3 is a fantastic car. I love it. But this is a different type of car. This is a real driver's car. Um, manual transmission, they say it's sharper. You sit lower in the car. Um, I'm actually driving this car in about a week and a half at Estoril in Portugal on track and a bit of a road drive as well. And I, I'm actually one of the – it's one of the launches I'm looking forward to more than anything I've done this year, and it's the cheapest car that I've actually gone and driven on track. So um, I reckon I'd love to see one of these in my garage only because I think it's probably, as Moco said, it's probably the best driving experience you can currently get uh, for, for under a hundred grand. I mean that, uh, with a lot of sincerity, this, I I drove the last one too, Moco, and I drove it against a Focus RS and a Megane RS down in the Victorian high country. And, uh, and I have to say, um, it, it was more enjoyable in the Type R, in the old Type R than any of those other two cars, as much as I love them. And I did love them both. But this car gave you something different. The the shift, the the close ratio shift mechanism was, I mean, and the front, you just couldn't believe it was a front wheeler, the way it turned in. 
And and I think everyone that's driven and the, here's the thing though I would never have bought the old one with that giant spoiler and that boy racer type thing. I think what they've done with this thing, tone everything down, and the additions mm-hmm. they put on it has will has made it a better car and probably a more acceptable car to a wider audience. And I think they'll sell more of these cars despite the price increase. There is one elephant in the room that I didn't touch on before, which is the GR Corolla. So I recently went to Utah to drive that before the Aussie launch in 2023. And that thing, you know, with its GR Yaris, you know, almost WRC homologated turbo drivetrain with four-wheel drive and, again, a manual gearbox as standard, is something to behold. It's probably not going to be quite as quick as the Honda, but, man, that, that, that GR Corolla blew me away. So, mm. you know what? I think the bigger picture here is, has there ever been a better time to be in We're the lucky, country? right? Yeah. You've got the, the i30N under 50 grand is a brilliant car. Mm. Yes, the, the Fiesta and Focus ST are dead and the Megane RS is on the way out. But, yeah, the Civic Type R, the GR Corolla, the Audi RS3 and S3, the A45. You've got so many choices. I20N as well as, of course, mm. the i30N. So, yeah. What, what a time to be into yeah. these vehicles. They're not going to be around forever because, you know, cars with batteries are going to replace everything. So strike yeah. while the iron's hot and, yeah. Um, yeah, price notwithstanding, looks like an absolute weapon. I wonder if they'll have enough of these things to satisfy demand. Of course they won't, but that's the world we live in, right? <laughs> they don't have enough of anything at the moment. <laughs> They can't even get oranges at the supermarket. <laughs> is that is that why you've got scurvy, Tony? I was wondering. Mate, I've, I've, uh, uh, well, I've got to disclose this. I was down uh, with a colleague uh, in the, from this industry at the air show at uh, Wollongong Shell Harbour on Saturday, and uh, insanely, I arrived there on a thirty degree day with no hat and no sunscreen. So, so, so this is what happens when you spend fourteen hours in the sun, Mocha, and desperate for shade, of which there was none, which I thought was outlandish. But we got to see the F thirty five two fly at full whack with afterburners wide open and. That was worth the 14 hours of pain and the insufferable uh, peeling I've got going on now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And what a way to end this week's car news. You can find more at carexpert.com.au. A couple of weeks ago, Moko, you gave us a bit of a teaser on your drive of the 2023 Volkswagen ID4. The review is live now if you want to go and read it, but it's probably just easier if you keep listening. Uh, So this is the first EV that Volkswagen have made coming to Australia along with the, what is it, the ID5? Is that correct? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, So uh, tell us more. What were your your first impressions of this car? Yeah, so ID4 uh, is a mid-sized SUV. Think of it sort of as an electric equivalent to a Tiguan. Looks nothing like a Tiguan. It looks like the rest of the ID family, so very distinctive in the way it's designed. Based on Volkswagen, what it calls the MEB architecture, it is a electric-only drivetrain that has never been designed to have any combustion engine whatsoever in it. Um, the subtext of this car is that Volkswagen has long said it wants to be a leader in Australia's EV industry, um, and, and it really wants to sort of uh, spruik its green credentials. Of course, the reality behind all the PR fluff is that it actually doesn't have any EVs and it won't until the very end of 2023 when this car will arrive. Part of the reason why I think they flew me up to drive the ID4, which was a UK market 
vehicle brought over that can't be driven on the roads but is but is good to train techs and things on um, is just to remind people as EVs proliferate that hey Volkswagen we're here we do have something coming so don't go buy that Kia EV6 or Tesla Model 3 just yet um, now the ID4 was the 2021 world car of the year it has been getting really good reviews but again by the time it gets here it's going to be a couple of years into its life cycle so whether it remains on the cutting edge I'm not so sure there were two versions that the company showed us um, one is called the ID4 Pro Performance, which is aimed uh, at government agencies, fleets. It's the more entry-level model, um, going to be priced around the same as a Tiguan 162 TSIR line, which suggests about $60,000. And then there's a more powerful ID4 Pure Performance with a much longer range and a, and a bigger motor, which is probably going to go for sort of 70 plus. So the pricing what Volkswagen is saying will be the pricing actually seems quite reasonable, certainly in line with its competitors set like the Tesla Model Y, Kia EV6 and, and a growing list of others. But of course, until we find out the final price, we're not going to be sure. Um, as I said, it's on the MEB platform. Uh, the base model has a 55 kilowatt hour uh, lithium ion battery, giving it a, a driving range of 345 k's, which isn't much. But then again, for back-to-base fleet users and councils and things like that, it's probably entirely sufficient. If you need more range, the Pro Performance ups this to an 82 kilowatt hour battery with 522 kilometres of range on the WLTP testing cycle. Now, one of the cool things about the MEB is that it's rear-wheel drive because the packaging downsides of rear drive in a combustion car are not something that occurs in EVs. So it's got a rear drive motor, the rear wheels are what drives. That gives it a really tight turning circle, but it also gives it sort of slightly more uh, dynamic focus than some of the other EVs you drive. It actually does handle relatively well. Um, in terms of uh, acceleration and power, 125 kilowatts for the base, 150 kilowatts for the, the more powerful one, 8.5 and 9 seconds to 100 k's respectively. So we're not talking super sports cars here. There is a dual motor GTX which ups this significantly to 220 kilowatts. And I think that'll come at some point to be a sort of electric Tiguan R equivalent. But at the early launch, Volkswagen's really focusing more on sensible family buyers rather than those that want to go zero to 100 in two seconds like you can in a Tesla. Um, one of the issues that I had with this car was charging. So the base model's maximum AC charge rate is 7.2 kilowatts and 110 kilowatts DC, whereas the one with the bigger battery is a 11 kilowatt AC charger, which is fine, but 125 kilowatts DC. Now, just to contextualize that, when I went to drive that car, I parked at the airport in my Kia EV6 press car, which the day before I was charging at 202 kilowatts on a Charge Fox charger. So the rapid charging side of things isn't great. And this is sort of where the fact that the car is a little bit more advanced in its life cycle could hurt, because by the time it arrives, it's going to be three years old and its technology is going to be a little bit behind the times, quite frankly, particularly in the realm of charging. Um, as we move to the interior, very, very sort of basic, simple very spacious, big back seats, big boot. Again, excellent family car, slightly fiddly infotainment system. Volkswagen's obsessed with touchscreens and haptic trackpads these days rather than buttons, which I don't personally like very much. Volkswagen's new CEO himself came out and said he doesn't like it either, so I think that's going to change. <laughs> um, but, but things like augmented reality head-up display and that can give you Apple Maps directions add a little bit of cool factor. Um, Overall, very sensible, very spacious, 
decent tech, but but on first impressions, there do seem to be a few areas where it's probably not at the absolute cutting edge of the segment. Um, what do you guys think about it? Okay, that charging uh, barriers seem like you're saying it's going to be three years. So does that mean we'll get an updated version from the original yeah. car? Yeah, so uh, the timing doesn't seem to me to work out that way. Um, we are going to get the ID3 hatchback in 2024, which will be the midlife update model. But the ID4 launched globally after the ID3, and it arrives in Australia before the ID3. So if you if you do your timing, I don't see how Volkswagen's going to bring the updated ID4 at least wow. initially. It seems to me reading the tea leaves, that by the time the ID4 arrives in late 2023, it will be the current generation model rather than the update whenever that's due. Surely that'll be a tough act uh, against the likes of Model Y and um, Ionic 5 even. Yes and no. I think this car does have some real advantages. And I did touch on the practicality aspect. I wouldn't say it's more practical than a Tesla Model Y, but it's certainly a very capacious you know, capable family SUV. Mm. The Volkswagen badge goes a long way and mm. not just because it has recognition, which it clearly does, but also because there is an enormous car park of Volkswagens out there. People who buy Volkswagens statistically are a little bit, um, not unanimously, but there's, there's definitely correlation of slightly progressive, slightly higher incomes, slightly uh, people who actually, you know, might be more inclined to be an early-ish adopter of EVs. And Volkswagen mm. has said as much that a lot of people already are making inquiries about ID4 who currently drive Tiguan's, whose lease perhaps might be expiring at the end mm. of next year. They love the Volkswagen brand. They want to stick with the brand. Mandy, okay. you're a Volkswagen tragic, so you can probably understand mm. that. But yeah. there is no option in Australia for them. So I think there'll be a lot of those. The challenge, though, is those people who come in who just want an EV, who aren't car nuts, who are cross-shopping the ID4 with a myriad other products that are out there, is this vehicle, decent though it is, going to still be fresh enough to compete? At this juncture, based on a very short drive, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I do have to say it is good at least that Volkswagen is getting on board. It's been talking the talk for a long time and it is starting to walk the walk, which is What do you think cool. of the styling? In the flesh, I think it's a lot more resolved. I think in the pictures it looks a little bit clunky, but it's one of those cars, and, and you guys would both know this phenomenon. Sometimes you see a car in the metal and it just somehow makes a bit more sense. The mm. proportions work. It's quite a, a nice, shapely, curvaceous silhouette. The sheet metal's got some really nice details. The lighting signatures front and rear with your scrolling LED lights. It does come to life a little bit when you see it, uh, I think it's one of those ones that you shouldn't judge it based on the pictures. You should really wait until you see it with your own eyes. Not a showstopper, not a Kia EV6 that makes you sort of drop your lunch and, and look at it as it passes you, but, uh, but definitely a handsome thing. i tell you what I'm blown away by, the Addo 3. Like, mm. I can't believe how good-looking that thing is. Matt, have you seen one on the road? Uh, no, not on the road, only in photos. They, uh, they, yeah. they literally, um, they're head-turning cars. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, they look fantastic from the rear and the front. This is a bloody good-looking thing. And I know Volkswagen buyers won't even probably look at a BYD, but uh, for all those that haven't seen a BYD, go and look at one in a showroom uh, because I think you'll be massively surprised. So here's I'll, I'll, I'll throw a couple of stats at you. 57% of all of the EVs sold in the entire world this year are sold in China. 
Hmm. So China sells more EVs than every other country in the world combined. BYD is the world's second biggest maker of electric vehicles after Tesla. Uh, It's made 3 million of them in just the last couple of years. 2 million in about the last two years. It is skyrocketing. That company, and I'm not, this is not about BYD, but that company has got a million and one products coming out. And you raise a really good point, Groff, which is that people who are buying EVs now, Tesla has shown, they're not necessarily motivated by familiarity of brand. In fact, for some people buying an EV, a familiar brand is actually a handbrake. They want yeah. something new, something they haven't heard of before. So the idea of saying we're Volkswagen, or we're Toyota, we're Ford, we're Mazda, when they decide to go down the EV path too, Mm. that's not really enough to come in and say, well, we're Volkswagen, the real big boys are here now, now you've got something proper to buy. Because people don't think that way anymore. Badges don't mean what they used to. So Volkswagen cannot rest on its laurels. It's not to say the ID4 doesn't have a lot of promise. In a lot of ways, it is an excellent practical family EV, but I don't think it's enough just to say because it's a Volkswagen, it's automatically going to do well. They're going to have to get that price point spot on. That's going to be the thing to wait for. If they can deliver on that price point they've promised, maybe, but we'll just have to wait and see to to sort of Mm. a little bit further on in the year for that. Mm. I see you haven't given it a car expert rating because you didn't really spend a lot of time with it. Well, here's the other thing. So the drive, because they're UK cars, they're they're not road usable. Um, Now, Volkswagen elected to use a fairly small private facility to drive the vehicle on, and I understand why. But I didn't feel comfortable doing 10 kilometres of driving on a closed circuit and coming away, giving our our readers a a definitive rating. It just didn't feel like I'd be doing a service to anybody by doing that. So I did mention some pros and cons, which I'll give you now. So the pros, promise of competitive pricing, a good range with a bigger battery and a spacious family-friendly interior. The cons, it's still a year away and it's already late to begin with. Some cheap feeling interior materials. Let's be honest, Volkswagen cabins are not made like they used to be. My fiance's Golf 7 feels like it's built out of a single piece of rock, whereas this one <laughs> had some pretty cheap feeling, crappy materials inside. You can really see where the costs have been saved. And the charging speeds aren't great either, is another negative. So, no rating yet, but it, it feels like a solid middle of the road competitor rather than. Volkswagens, which once upon a time, Croft, you remember when we used to be called, you know, Volkswagenadvice.com because they won every test they were in. It doesn't seem to me that that's where Volkswagen's at right now. That This car is not an automatic segment leader is, is my view. No. Okay. Well, you can check out the uh, the full review at carexpert.com.au and let us know what you think in the comments. Crawf, you're going to give us uh, two reviews that you've just driven, uh, the BMW i7 and the BMW X7. But first, your thoughts on where BMW is going. Yeah, Mandy, I'm glad you uh, said that because BMW, and I've done quite a few launches this year, and what uh, the takeaway, the big takeaway for me is here's a company that has got the balance absolutely perfect with they're cracking on with their with their all electric their battery electric vehicles and I'll talk about i7 in a minute which I just drove in uh, the US but they're also launching stuff like you know the new M4 CSL the the M2 is going to be launched soon and they've got an XM which is a hybridized twin turbo V8 monster of a machine and um, and yet you know I, I, I sometimes I sit down and I think how are they managing all this 
this uh, output of, of, and they're getting this electric stuff right. Now, they're expensive at the moment. Um, one of the cheapest uh, electric vehicles they've got performance-wise is the i4. Uh, and I've driven the M50. I haven't driven the 40 model, but this is one of the best electric vehicles I've ever driven. It's 125 grand, and I'm sure Moco has had a crack in this one as well. But it is a sensational vehicle. Then they got their iX SUVs. Now they're really expensive, but they are incredible vehicles that really um, personify what people would dream of an electric SUV being like when they get inside. It's futuristic for the here and now, Mandy, but they're also mm-hmm. doing stuff like the new M2. And I, I don't know how they're managing all this. It's It would be a nightmare to manage, but they seem to be doing it very well. Now, in the US, uh, I came away, we went over there for two cars. The i7 is their huge, it's actually 5.4, almost 5.4, four meters long. This is a boat of a vehicle. But I'm telling you now, and it's all electric, um, big range, 612k range, a lot of power, um, not uh, not breakneck fast. I mean, it's 4.7 not to 100, fast enough, right, for a four, 5.4 meter long car and a very wide car and ultra luxurious. And I'll get to that in a minute. But what I wanted to touch on was the fact that this is a massive electric car. And it's probably reserved for people with chauffeurs and all that sort of stuff. But they gave us a drive route which included a canyons um, in the hills above um, Palm Springs. And we were absolutely caning. We were encouraged to cane this thing. And I'm telling you now, Mandy, that this car, this electric vehicle, had more driver feedback than the equivalent petrol vehicle. Work that one out. Um, And that's what they've done with the i4 and the iX. You get proper driver feedback in these electric cars. So they, in my mind, BMW are doing the EV performance um, world better than anyone at the moment in my mind um, because they're they're not too outrageously futuristic. They are luxuriously uh, futuristic in terms of, you know, the i7's got a 30 1.3 1.3 inch 8k screen in the back this thing is mental mandy this thing is better than sitting in a gold class at hoyt cinemas um it really is it's got 35 speakers within a meter of you oh my um, God. so you can imagine the sound of any movie a top gun would be incredible the new top gun maverick would be incredible um i think we watch we're watching a kids movie um but the the, the, the sound mandy was you know the the the, uh, the fiddle that was playing. I could hear every like every fraction of every note. It was just insane, and that folds away with voice recognition. It's got light interaction bars that have got uh, upwards of fifteen point one or fifteen point three million colours available to uh, show off on this uh, incredible light bar that is programmed or by touch. Uh, touch things called my my uh, modes i should say and you just touch this thing and and a piece of art will come onto the onto the ambient light bar the interaction bar they call it um i mean it's just crazy stuff um and and this car uh is um 
was only 297. I know that sounds crazy saying only 297 grand, but this is a luxury with every known feature in it for 290, for under $300,000 and it'll go 600 Ks on a full charge. I mean, I don't know guys, but you know, and to have this car where you actually want to cane it like a hot hatch, uh, I mean, no one will do that that buys this car, I suspect. But just the fact that they allowed us to drive the car like this, they were obviously incredibly confident that this car also gives feedback to the driver and is enjoyable to drive in this um, in this character. Uh, so what do you think, guys, think? I, um, I'm super impressed on paper with the efficiency, which is under 20 kilowatt hours per 100 Ks for a – car that I assume weighs like two and a half tons or whatever. Uh, 2.8 nearly. 2.8 tons, which is insanely yeah. expensive. Yeah, it's insanely heavy, by the way. But yeah. i got a Polestar 2 at the moment, which is a far smaller vehicle, and I'm not averaging that. I'm averaging worse no. than that. So the efficiency of this thing, yes, it's got a 625K range, but it's 107 kilowatt hour battery pack. Yes, it's a big battery, but mm. it's not some unheard of big battery, which is great for the environment because the smaller your battery and the more efficient it is, the actual lower its overall CO2 is. So as a holistic emissions reducing limo, it's excellent. I also say I I recently attended the big swanky launch event for BMW's uh, Melbourne dealership, which just reopened, which is the world first iteration of BMW's new dealership design. So it's the first in the world to have this, you know, multi-million dollar redesign that BMW wants all the dealers to look like. And, and just to show you how influential BMW Australia is in the BMW world, there was a new i7 and there was, there was a bunch of other, a new iX. There were a bunch of new BMWs there. The i7 was one of them. I had a really good look at it in person. And some of the attention to detail of this car, it's one of those cars that I find sometimes with some other luxury brands, it's very, very shiny and glossy on the surface and it all looks amazing. And then you familiarise yourself with it and you start to see where they've actually cut costs. It almost felt like the opposite with the BMW. The more you forensically explored the shot lines and the touch points and the materials and the lighting and all these other things, the more attention to detail that you found. Like BMW really seems like it has pulled out every stop that its engineering team has with this car. It, It is a genuinely incredibly impressive machine. And I'm really glad, Croft, that your drive experience mirrored that because I was hoping that that's what you'd say. <laughs> yeah, and, and don't forget, you can, uh, Mandy, uh, for you, you, you mostly, um, you can control everything from your voice. Like, uh, hey, BMW, open all the doors and all the doors will automatically open. You also got a button to press it if you don't want to do your voice. And you can also control everything uh, entertainment, uh, HVAC controls everything from a little, looks like an iPhone built into the um, armrest on each uh, rear door. Uh, and that is incredibly intuitive, by the way. No manuals, nothing. You just start using it. It's incredible. Uh, how they're doing this and getting it right, like I said, Moko, you would have seen that M2. I heard there was another one. There was a new M2 there that none of us have even close to driving yet. But that was already there. So you're right about BMW Australia. They must know a lot of people at the top end of Munich uh, or Gaching because they they got some pull. The other one is, you know, once upon a time, the only large luxury sedan you'd even countenance was a Mercedes-Benz S-Class. It was that daylight and all the rest, right? The new electric S-Class isn't called S-Class. It's called EQS. Yeah. Um, the thing about that car, and I've spent a lot of time driving that car, deeply impressive machine, and, and as you would expect. But 
it looks just like the EQE. It, again, has incredibly flashy, interesting technology, but it doesn't feel in any way as special to me as this i7 seemed to. Yeah. In terms of the way that it, you know, we're, we're just just the way that you interact with it and engage with it, you get in yeah. the EQS, and it's like this is a very high tech, but it kind of looks like a, an Apple mouse in profile, and it it sort of feels like a giant touchscreen on wheels. It, it doesn't have a lot of emotional attachment or soul, whereas this i7, I actually feel a sort of pull to it. I actually feel a sense of attachment to it. It strikes me as. It's like BMW has somehow supplanted Mercedes as the preeminent producer of giant limousines at this point, which is not to say that Mercedes won't strike back in the future and retake its crown because that's what competition does. But at this very point in time, it feels like BMW has actually overtaken its arch rival from Stuttgart. Mm, mm, good good uh, thoughts. Mm, interesting. And, yeah. All right, uh, Crawford, we might move on to your yeah. other review, which is yeah. the gigantic X7. What did you think of it? It's a big, uh, it's a huge SUV, Mandy, but um, in the wide open spaces of, of the desert, the California desert and Palm Springs, it doesn't film big at all. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, they've stuck a 48 uh, uh, mild, 48 volt mild hybrid system in this thing. Um, it, it, it is another uh, very, very impressive vehicle. I'd never been much of a fan of the old X7, to be honest. Um, don't know why. Um, I, I probably never spent any time in it, to be honest. But um, I, I tell you what, um, it gets a lot of the luxury stuff that the uh, new 7 Series gets, uh, but not quite enough to put it into the same luxurious league. It's a bit down on stuff. It does have the screens, but it doesn't have the same ambient lighting interaction bar. It's got a watered-down version of that. Um, but again, this vehicle is a very, very long vehicle. I think it's about 5.2 metres. I've not absolutely uh, tell you in a second. 5.181, there you go. 5.2 roughly. And again... I say um, that not only is it quick, and it's four point, I was going to say it's 4.7, I think, again for this one. So it's not blisteringly quick like an AMG, um, uh, an AMG equivalent would be with its twin turbo. AMG seemed to get a lot of power out of their cars. But I did ask this question to the engineering guys, and I said, you know, are you worried that, you know, you're not as quick as the AMG stuff and, um, they said, well, we're not really after that. We're after driver feel and here's another car, here's another huge SUV that you have fun punning it into a corner and really enjoying the, the weight balance uh, in this very long vehicle and it's actually fun to pun hard. And, you know, we dropped it down into Sport Plus, which gave it extra mumbo and held the gear longer and to get back onto the freeway. And then, you know, we drilled it to obscene speeds, which you'd get locked up for in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, but it did it so effortlessly. Um, and, again, with this steering feel and you really felt comfortable tucking it into some canyon corners. And, um, you know, we went off-road. I, 
uh, I, you know, in California, they're mad on this desert racing, as Moko was saying earlier about Baja. Well, they do this every weekend with buggies and bikes. And, you know, we happen to see a few of these things going on off the beaten track. So I just turned the thing off and uh, headed into the desert <laughs> and, uh, with, with, a, with uh, the BMW guy and another uh, journo colleague. And, uh, you know, we're doing kind of you know, right 180s. Um, spinning around this thing. I didn't even put it into off-road mode. I didn't bother. Uh, it's all-wheel drive, of course. So uh, we're having the hell of a time on uh, chasing these buggies in the X7. Croft, when I think about the 5.2-metre-long BMW X7, the, the word elephant sort of comes to mind. And the elephant in the room is the way it looks. Um because I think to call it polarizing would be generous in its pre-updated form. It was um, it's hard to make an SUV that big look good, but the Mercedes-Benz GLS always struck me as a much better looking car. Um, yeah, does the new one, does, does, does the updated one improve the design? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, well, I, I, I look. They the 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 punters called out the i the i seven as being uh, hideous as well, and uh, I I've changed my complete view on this. I you can't build beautiful cars like BMW did in the 70s and 60s. It's not possible to do that anymore. BMW did it better than most, by the way, mm. um, with all their, their coupes and everything. They're some of the most uh, iconic, beautiful cars ever made. Don't you think BMW would like to be making fantastic, beautiful, curvaceous cars as well in, the, in this electric age? Well, you can't because of the safety uh, regulations and everything else that you've got to put into a car these days to get past the ADRs in Australia, particularly nasty ADRs. Not nasty, but they're, uh, they're, they're incremental add-ons that you've got to put and manufacturers find it very difficult to comply with Australian ADRs sometimes. But um, that's another story. But uh, what I'm saying is that I like the split design now, Moco, on the uh, X7. It mirrors the, um, you know, they're both flagships, right? The 7 Series, i7 being the electric version, and this X7, they're flagship models for the brand. And, you know, the, the, the flagship thing now is to split the headlight design. So you've got these very thin DRLs up top. Uh, and you've got the headlights that are slightly pushed back underneath, a bit stealthy. So, yeah, I like it. But, you know, um, you can never win an argument on uh, design, unfortunately, um, yeah. because you'll just get shot down by someone else that thinks it's absolutely hideous. But uh, I I'd, I'd certainly wouldn't have any qualms of putting one of these in my driveway. And, 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 they, and having such a... Uh, a wonderful car to drive that you really do enjoy every outing, whether it's to a, a restaurant or to a shop. Uh, we love getting in this vehicle and you get that space, right? I mean, 5.2 metres isn't, you know, there are much bigger vehicles in terms of utes and, you know, the Gladiator, for instance, is a lot bigger than, a lot longer than that. So um, what I'm saying is uh, over there, of course, it's a different kettle of fish. You've got these wide open spaces. It's very easy to park. Here it's a different story. But I think they'll do very well. And I think um, if you can get over the design, as Moko said, um, you've got an exceptional car, um, uh, absolutely wonderful uh, uh, car to actually sit in. And I didn't talk about the actual comfort of the suspension, which is incredible. You don't feel anything on this car, and yet you put it in Sport Plus and you're tucking down like you, were, you would a hot hatch. So you, you, get, you get the whole different seasonality in this vehicle to be able to drive anywhere, whether it's on track, on road, uh, up canyons, doesn't matter. It seems With to be buddies. able to do it. Yeah. 
So just um, just to, to wrap this up, you touched on you'll think they'll do well. Just a, just a little quick question for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, how many BMW, and just for the listeners, BMW X7, $200,000-ish giant SUV with seven seats. How many BMW X7s, pre-update models, do you think BMW has sold in Australia this year to the end of October? Oh, I wouldn't have a clue. Oh, me either. If I told you 749, would that surprise you? Wow. That would. Uh, I was going to yes. say 200. <laughs> 749, <laughs> mate. That is 25% market share. It has doubled the sales wow. of everything except for the Benz GLS, but it's beaten wow. the Benz GLS as well. So this year the X7 is Australia's favourite super mega-size SUV. Wow. And that's in the pre-update form. So when you, say, when you say they'll do well, I think you're probably right there, mate. Wow. Yeah. That's a really uh, amazing uh Amazing numbers, numbers. Yeah, I reckon. Well, you've given the X7 an 8.7, and mm. uh, that review, you can go and check it out now. That brings an end to this week's podcast. So, Moko, what cars have we got coming up next week? We have got a load of load luggers, Mandy, Ooh. because we are doing an enormous piece of comparison content. Uh, coming up very shortly, involving most of the dual cab utes on sale. Um, I'm not going to read you the full list because just go and look at all of the dual cab utes that you can buy and it stands to reason we will have it. Um, This is an enormous project we've been sort of tying together for quite some time now and next week it all commences. And rest assured, dear listeners, that we are sparing no resource in making sure it's the best bit of content that we've ever done. Um, Now, in terms of the launch side of things, this is the time of year when all the car brands suddenly panic and go, oh, crap, there's only a month of the year left. We've got to to do all these events to get everything out of the way before the new year. There's been one, two, three, four, five, six, eight launches this week. So we have all been travelling around. I've been living out of a suitcase this week. So I was Wongi. Scott's in another country at the moment. Surprised you aren't, Croft, for what it's worth. (laughs) Next week is a little quieter, which helps a lot considering we're so busy with other things. But you, Crawford, have got a Nissan X-Trail and Pathfinder double act launch down here in Melbourne. Al Bors is driving, surprise, surprise, Al Bors is driving a Range Rover Sport. Who would have thought Al Bors would put his name down for a Range Rover? Um, Full fat rangy. Yeah. (laughs) And Hyundai Santa Fe Hybrid launches next week, and that is a massive one because Toyota has had the Kluger Hybrid for so long now and it's had, there's nothing else to compete with it. So Hyundai's got that. Um, and then moving on through the week, Tony, you touched on this before, but you're off to drive a Type R Honda Civic in Lisbon, my yep. favourite city on the planet, by the yeah. way. Um, and then Al Bors, your, your, your illustrious co-founder, is, is going to head off and uh, drive uh, a fairly important vehicle called the Mercedes-AMG C63SE Performance Plug-in Hybrid in Malaga, Spain, one of the most polarising vehicles of recent times end of the V8, beginning of the Fev era for the C63. What's it going to be like? Well, I'm sure he will have some strong opinions. So plenty of awesome stuff coming down the pike. Mike, I've got to say, that's probably the most controversial car of the of the year, would it not be? Yeah. I've only got one question for you, Croft. You've just said that. Where is your opinion column? Because I need opinion columns to run on the site, mate. I'm going to do it. it my way. Send you, it my I'm going to do it on the weekend, yeah. mate. <laughs> yep. I want to see it in my email inbox yep. by 9 a.m. Monday, all right? Thank you. Oh, it's, it's done. It's done. I can't wait. Uh, me either. Guys, it's been fun. Tony Crawford and Mike Costello, thank, thank you. Mandy. Thank you, Mandy. Thank, thank you, Crawford. Cheers, guys.